Good morning. Our reading this morning is from Numbers 11, verses 4 to 18. Quail from the Lord. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a hand mill or crushed it into a mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into loaves and it tasted something like made with olive oil. When the Jews settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now if I have found fever in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you, so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat me. Good morning. I wasn't very enthusiastic. The people at home need to hear you say good morning. Good morning. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And for you at home, good morning. Uh, It's great to be with you in your living room, your kitchen. You're probably not in your garden now. The weather's starting to change a little bit. Um, But yeah, it's great to be here. My name's Gareth. I'm part of the, the staff team here at Orangefield Presbyterian Church. And I want to say, I love Harvest. I'm a country boy. A lot of you guys are from the city. Uh, I'm a country boy, and it's the one weekend in the year I get to be loud and proud country. So I was even going to wear a check shirt this morning, but it was in the wash, so I couldn't do it. But yeah, I, I, I love Harvest. I love decorating the church. I love the fact that even though we're in lockdown at the minute, we've still decorated the church. The flowers are incredible. There's been so much generosity of gifts for our food bank. I love Harvest. I love the fact it is my friend Alistair Russell's birthday today. He was born on Harvest. Happy birthday, Alistair. 50 today. Brilliant. Uh, I, I love Harvest. I love Harvest. There's a bit of a round of applause going on in the building and people clapping at home as well, I'm sure. Mostly, mostly I love the fact that we get this festival in the year where we get to stop and look around us and lift our eyes to God and say, God, you are so good. You are so faithful. And the very essence of harvest is a celebration that God is faithful in every single circumstance. Even in the midst of a COVID-19 pandemic that has the whole world on its knees, God is still faithful. Are you with me? Amen. Come on. Absolutely. Going Pentecostal this morning. Sorry. Um, So let's take a minute and pray. 
And then we're going to step into these words in Numbers 11. And uh, I, I want to bring what I believe God wants us to share this morning. Let's pray together. And as we come, Father, it's so easy to be distracted this morning. There's been this sense amongst our prayer team that for some people, they're going to find it hard to concentrate today. Maybe it's because of everything that's going on in our lives. Maybe it's because you're at home and it's so easy to get distracted as we participate in a service through the same device that we consume media on, it's so easy to get distracted. Father, as we come this morning, you deserve the best of our concentration. We want to acknowledge that, that your Holy Spirit is here with us in our living room, in our church building, in our, wherever we are, you are present, God. And you are faithful, and you are good, and you are the God that, that speaks to us, and you are the God who blesses us. And we, right now, ask for your help to open our minds and open our hearts to your living word and to your spirit. Come and speak to us, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in 1995, uh, Ruby Payne wrote a book. It was called A Framework for Understanding Poverty. And, and in the book, she said something really interesting. She said, and this is 25 years ago, she said that for the poor, the issue around food is an issue of quantity. Did I get enough to eat? Is there enough food for me to eat? It's an issue around quantity. But if you're middle class, it's not so much a question around quantity, it's a question around quality. Did I like that? Middle class becomes a bit more fussy with it. Did I like that? But then 25 years ago, Ruby Payne said, um, if you are wealthy, it's not a question around quantity or quality, it's a question around presentation. Was what I at aesthetically pleasing, not just to my stomach, but to my eyes, to my heart, to my mind. Isn't that interesting? I thought that was really interesting 25 years ago. I, I want to suggest, though, that in the 25 years from then until now, social media and, and Twitter and Facebook and primarily actually Instagram have deconstructed some of that. And for most of us now today, that idea of, is this aesthetically pleasing? Is this worthy of taking a photograph of and sharing with my mates online actually moves into a place where it becomes the dominant factor with the food we eat? Now, you might argue with me, but I, I think it's really interesting to think that. And I, I, I look at myself as a thought experiment. This summer, I got in a car with my wife and drove to Ballantoy, which isn't exactly close by. Drove to Ballantoy. If anybody's anywhere else in the world watching, that's, we're in Belfast. That's right up on the north coast, uh, miles and miles, probably an hour and 10 minutes in the car to get there. Um, probably faster. Not, not, it wouldn't take as long if Gary was driving. He's a bit of a rally man. But um, drove to Ballantoy Harbour to buy fish and chips from a fish and chip van, not even a building, a van. And I stood in a queue for 50 minutes in the cold waiting to get my fish and chips from the van. 
literally driving past hundreds of chippies and restaurants to get to a van parked on the side of the street that was selling fish and chips and waited and queued up for it. Why? Why did I do that? Because Instagram and marketing had presented an image of the fish and chips sold from this van that made my heart think, I need that. I, I, I need that. Other people have had that, and they say it's amazing, and I think I need that. To be not just full, but to be fulfilled. Isn't that weird? And I know I'm not the only one. I'm not even going to say the name of the chippy, but I know I'm not the only person that has gone through that, whether it's food on Instagram or whether it's whatever the latest celebrities wearing in a magazine. We are all susceptible to the powers of marketing. And social media has done something to our hearts. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. My heart began to believe the lie that driving 50 miles and standing in a queue to get fish and chips from a van because the picture was good would leave me more satisfied as a human being. Share that with you because I think there's something in that that we see in here with the children of Israel. This series is called Pilgrimage. We are on pilgrimage as we move from life before COVID to life in COVID to potentially life after COVID, please let it be soon. Please let it be soon. Oh, man. The children of Israel, they are on pilgrimage. They are moving from Egypt where they were in captivity and enslaved for 400 years, building pyramids and building buildings and building cities and being whipped and beaten and killed. Uh, And then they were liberated by God of the harvest. God, who is faithful, reached down and liberated them and brought freedom to them and through a series of miracles brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness on pilgrimage to the promised land. And on the journey in the wilderness, the, you know, you couldn't drive to Ballantoy to get a chippy. You couldn't go anywhere to get a chippy. There was no food for hundreds of thousands of these people. And so they cried out to God, and God, in his faithfulness, that's the word for this morning, guys, in his faithfulness, provided manna from heaven. These, these seeds, these kernels would when the wind and the dew settled on the camp in the evening, these little kernels of grain were there that they could pick up and grind into flour and make into bread. And every night, God miraculously provided food for, for the children of Israel. But it says in our text this morning, they began to crave other food. Now, thinking back to the opening illustration we shared, they began to crave other food, but it wasn't because they were hungry. Because they had food that God was miraculously giving them. They weren't hungry. The the text seems to suggest that they were bored with it. When was God's faithfulness not enough? When was the miraculous not enough? They were bored. They, They wanted variety in their diet. And it says they began to crave other food. It doesn't actually say that. In the original Hebrew in the text, what it literally says, it doesn't say they began to crave other food. What it says is they began to crave a craving. Now think about that for a second. 
They began to crave a craving. It wasn't their stomachs that were dissatisfied. It was their hearts that were dissatisfied. There was an emptiness in their hearts that they thought, we need, we need meat to make us fulfilled. We need this to make us fulfilled. We need to drive to Ballantoy to get... I'm, I'm, I need to stop slagging off Ballantoy and the chip. It was really good, so it was... They started to crave a craving. There was a a dissatisfaction in their hearts. The miraculous had become mundane for them. God's faithfulness had been forgotten. The wonder of a God who could liberate them, free them, love them, lead them, and feed them had, had been forgotten. And rather than the wonder of a God who could do all that, their hearts were wandering and looking for fulfillment and satisfaction elsewhere. And they had become susceptible to, <clears throat> to the lie and to the deceitfulness. To the if only. Does your heart ever think if only? If only I could get to the end of this week. If only I could get that one thing. If only my job would do this. If only my kids would do this. If only I could earn that much money. If only, if only, if only. And it manifests in this lie and robs us of our contentment and we totally miss what God is doing in the moment because we're thinking, if only, if only, if only. For, for the Israelite people on pilgrimage there, if only, was thinking back to Egypt. Oh, do you remember the fish that we had in Egypt? Do you remember the melons and the cucumbers and the, the leeks and the goats? Life in Egypt, that was the good life in Egypt. That was, the, that was so good. And he, man, they'd completely forgotten the whips and the beating and the working 24 7. They'd completely forgotten the genocide of every young Hebrew boy. They'd forgotten the 400 years of slavery and oppression. Oh, if only we were back in Egypt, they'd be so good. Our hearts do that, don't they? They cause us to lose that perspective. If only I hear, I hear generations above me reminiscing of the good old days. And, and I get that because some things in our past were better. But let's not forget the war and rationing and recessions and the troubles. Historic life wasn't just better. It was complicated. There was good and bad. And all of you, myself included, have if onlys about COVID, don't we? If only we could get back to life before COVID, things would be great. Have you forgotten how over busy you were? How overscheduled? How overspent? How overtired? How overstressed? Let's be careful we don't miss what God is doing in the moment with the wandering of our hearts. Our hearts deceive us, they rob us of contentedness if only. Guys, what at home, here in the building, what is your heart longing for this morning? Where is your if only this morning? What do you think you're lacking that if you had, you would be content? What is robbing you of satisfaction this morning? You see, for the the children of Israel, suffering And change had heightened the discontentedness of their heart. 
And we get that. We get suffering, don't we? Today, we, 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 we get change. We get struggle. We're fearful of another lockdown. We, we, we get that, don't we? Separated from our loved ones. We, we, we get that. It heightens our anxiety levels. It heightens the discontentedness of our heart. And it causes us to lose perspective. And it causes us to lose hope. And as I look at the, these children of Israel in the wilderness, I see them starting to lose their faith. And I see them struggling in their mental health. That loss of perspective, the whole circumstance around them. I see them struggling in their mental health. That's taking modern day language and projecting it onto a 3,000 year old text. But that's what's happening isn't it? This weekend has been Mental Health Awareness Day. Um, in the lead up to, to this weekend for the preparation for this, I've spent, myself, I've spent time Googling and, and, and researching just different surveys and statistics around mental health. That people are looking and saying, this cultural moment that we're in with COVID, with separation, with families not seeing each other, with loved ones not being able to connect, with fear and uncertainty, there's an epidemic of, of mental health illness. It's rising. The World Health Organization, the Royal College for Psychiatrists, Bernardo's, they're just some of the bodies that I've been reading their research on over this week. All agree, all documenting the rise of mental health during the pandemic, all saying that our health services are struggling to meet the demand that has been put on them during the rise of mental health um, or the rise in the struggle of mental health for individuals and families. There's a raft of reasons for that. The unfamiliarity, the, the isolation, the fear about health, the fear about the future, the economic uncertainty. There's, there's a wealth of reasons that mental health has been affected these days. Sometimes it's situational, sometimes it's internal, but it's combining in a perfect storm. One of the most, and I'm not saying the most, but one of the most affected groups are individuals and families from low-income households. Statistics show they are more susceptible to struggling with their mental health, and, and that makes sense to us. Of course it does. It's one of the reasons that we are choosing to be faithful to God and, and open this food bank in partnership with Dundonald at this time. Because we recognize that people economically are going to be struggling and we want to provide practical help and food. But we also recognize that the link, the connection between um, struggling economically and poor mental health and lockdown and isolation. So as we provide practical help and food, we provide proximity and we invite people to come and we sit and we talk with them, socially distanced, but we talk with them and we help them get the support and the help that they need. The, the practical help, the proximity with others and the prayer help we offer, we don't force, but we offer to pray with anybody who comes through these doors to help them lift their eyes to the God who is faithful, the God who can meet every brokenness and every concern in their heart. Do you know what's interesting? Let me grab some water. 
was getting teased by how loud my drinking of water is. Is it loud? Listen. Is that okay? I'm getting that. No, it's all right. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, dear. It's interesting with this text, it's not just the, the Hebrew people who are struggling with their mental health. As you press into this Bible reading that our, the interns Amy and Michael have read for us today, Moses is struggling with his mental health as well. Look at his lament. Look, look at the words from, is it from verse 11 down to about verse 15, 16? Moses is struggling with his mental health. He pours out this lament to God. And at the end, he says, God, if this doesn't change, I wish I would just die. Do you see that? How bad must things have been for him in that moment that that was the cry of his heart? That was his honest prayer. If this isn't going to change, God, I can't go on. I just, I, I just feel like I want to die. I wonder, have you felt like that today or this week or this month? It's amazing, though, because Moses, Moses, more than anybody in Scripture, has stood face to face with God at the burning bush, on the mountaintop, so much so that the, the confidence of his face, his radi- own radiance was changed by his time in God's presence. Moses had, had stood toe-to-toe with the established powers in that city, and he had called down plagues from heaven and seen miracle after miracle that led to a rewriting of human history. In his obedience to God, Moses had stood at the the edge of the Red Sea and he had put his arm out over it and he had prayed and God had driven back the waters and the whole nation of Israel had walked through the waters. Moses had spent hours upon hours in God's presence in the tent of meeting more than anybody in human history. Moses got God's faithfulness. He understood God's faithfulness. He knew God could be trusted no matter how much his back was against the wall, no matter how despairing his circumstances were. And yet in this moment, the weight of other people's expectations of him, the hopelessness of the situation. He, he stumbled in his faith and his mental health was fragile. And he said, God, I can't do this anymore. And, and he's not the only one. Look at the prophets in the Old Testament. Look at Elijah. He went and he lay down under a bush and said, God, I, I, I just wish this was all over can't do this anymore. Here's one to talk about over the dinner table. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, if there's any other way to do this, as he sweat drops of blood, as he agonized over that moment, the pressure on his own mental health in that moment. If I'm honest with you, I find the last number of months of COVID and doing church like this and all of the pressures, I, I find it really hard. I felt at times my own mental health struggling. And I, I share that with you to say to you, 
It's okay not to be okay. You don't have to pretend you have this all together. You can say, I'm struggling. It's okay to do that. I've asked you how your heart is this morning. Let me ask you, how's your head? How's your mental health this morning? One of my favorite artists is a guy, Charlie Mackesy. I think he's just this wonderful, beautiful, prophetic artist. And you can see he does these fantastic little pen and ink drawings. A boy and a mole and a horse and a fox. Uh, they're all over social media. You can buy the book of them as well. I, I think they're beautiful. But I, but I put this up on the screen this morning. Charlie's really open as an artist about mental health and just being vulnerable and asking for help. And this is one of his most famous ones. What's the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. Help, said the horse. Moses cries out to God. He cries out to God. And and look how God answers his cry. Look how God answers his prayer. He says to him, ask for help. Don't try and do this on your own. Ask for help. You don't have to carry this on your own. The stuff you feel, just ask for help. And, And for Moses, what that looked like was allowing 70 other leaders to come around him and God God took some of the spirit, the anointing for leadership that was on Moses and the burden and responsibility for leadership and he put it onto these 70 as well. All because Moses was brave enough to ask for help. He prayed about it, but then he had to go and physically ask other people in the camp to come and be with him and to help him and to share the burden with him. Maybe this morning, the only thing you need to hear is, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. It's biblical. It's what God wants. You're not supposed to be Superman, Superwoman. It's okay to ask for help. Very practical thing to do. And then the other thing, God God answers in a supernatural way. Because God is faithful. He provides manna in the desert, but then he provides quail as well. These, these birds flooded the, the camp and the people had meat to eat. God provides a supernatural provision of their answered prayer. As you cry out for help today, be open to the fact that God may just simply put his hand upon you and bring healing to your mind, bring healing to your body, bring Relief to that situation. Bring reconciliation to that brokenness. Be open to the fact that God is faithful today. I was saying to the worship team before the service started, this is not simply harvest. It's not simply a celebration of God's faithfulness in the past. It is an acknowledgement of God's faithfulness in the present. But even more than that, it is an encounter with the God who is faithful today who is present today. Don't be scared to bring your prayer to God. Let me finish in this last place. We've got a Bible open or turned on. Just just have a look for a second at Moses' prayer of lament. It's in verse 11 to 15. And he cries out to God, 
And I'm summarizing and paraphrasing here, but as you look at that prayer, as you look at that lament, there's something that strikes me about it. Moses says, did I create these people? Did I bring them into the world? Did I love them? Did I do all these things? Was Moses, because Moses isn't the one who created them. And Moses isn't the one who nursed them like a mother. Moses isn't the one who has been tender and nurturing with them. Moses isn't the one who has led them and loved them and provided for them. Moses knows that. He asked the question of Yahweh. Because who did create them? Who does nurture them? Who has led them from slavery in Egypt towards the promised land? Who has loved them with a covenant, unbreakable love? Who has provided for them again and again and again and again? Who? Tell me. Is it Moses? Is it Gareth? Is it you? No, who is it? Come on, be enthusiastic. God, Yahweh, Yahweh is the one who created. Yahweh is the one who nursed. Yahweh is the one who led and loved and provided for. And here's my question. What if, what if, and I'm not alone suggesting this. Other commentators say this as well. But what if what we see in the cry of Moses' heart in his words are actually God's words on Moses' lips? What if the cry of Moses' heart is the reverberation of God's heart echoing through his words, echoing through his feelings? God, looking at this discontent, broken, complaining people, and God saying, I created you. And I love you, and I've led you, and I've provided for you, and again, and again, and again, you have rejected me. You have not trusted me. What more do I have to do? And as you read through that lament, flowing off Moses' lips, but put God behind it, can you conceive a moment when Yahweh would be so broken when Yahweh would be so burdened for the pain of the world that he would consider death to be his best option. What if in the most desperate moment of Moses' life, what we are seeing is the heart of Jesus being revealed and a glimpse of the cross being exposed? These people, these Hebrew people, they stood in the wilderness and they rejected God's miraculous bread of heaven. It's not enough for us. And today, Jesus, who in John's gospel calls himself the bread of heaven, looks over our church and looks over our city and he sees our wandering hearts. And he sees our broken hearts. And he sees our lonely hearts. And he sees our fearful hearts. And he sees our hearts that are desperately unsatisfied and are looking to social media and are looking to this and are looking to that and looking to that whatever to fill us and bring satisfaction and to bring completion. And he weeps. And he cries out. 
And then he goes to the cross and he opens his arms so that your heart can be healed, so that your heart can be forgiven, so that your heart can be filled, so that your heart can be satisfied. The cross is the ultimate celebration of Harvest Hope where we see God becoming the fulfillment for humanity. You're not going to find anything in this world that is going to fill the discontented place in your heart. And it is only, it is only by looking to the living God that you are going to find fulfillment and completion as a human being. It is only in relationship with God that we come to life, that we find satisfaction. And my question to you today, church, my question to you today is will you allow the God of the harvest to fill your heart and your life today, to make you complete today? That's my question. I want to invite the band to come and join me on stage. As they do, as they do, I I have this belief deep in my bones this morning as I came into church, as I prepared for this. And as I stand here today, it's only got stronger. I, I have this belief that so many of you, both here in the building and at home, are carrying the, this, this emptiness, this brokenness in your hearts, a thing that you're longing for and crying out for. And I want to give space today for you to receive an answer from God, to allow the God of the harvest, the God who provides for his people, to come and fill that broken space in your life. Maybe you're, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer as a believer. Maybe, maybe you're scared, actually, that, that you think becoming a Christian is about taking this big rule book on. It's going to wreck your life. Guys, nothing could be further from the truth. Stepping into relationship with God is about freedom. It's about coming alive. It's about becoming who you were created to be, not who the world has told you you should be. And I want to give you space to pray that prayer and to give your life to Jesus and to allow him to come and fill your heart. For others, for others, it's about relationships. For others, it's about, about healing in your life. Take a moment now. Just bow your head wherever you are. Nobody's looking. Bow your head. And just picture in your mind that thing that causes you the most amount of of discontentedness and agony and stress and pain. That thing that robs you of, of freedom and it robs you of contentedness. If it's a mental health thing, just just place a hand on the side of your head. If it's a physical health thing, put your hand on the part of your body that is struggling. 
If it's something else, just, just open your hands up as if to receive. God of the harvest, we look to you. We are done looking to the things of this world to fill us and make us complete. We, we, we are done with that. They don't bring satisfaction. We, we look to you, God. And we ask, pour out your spirit on this place today, on your people today. I pray for healing in Jesus' name. I pray for wholeness in Jesus' name. I pray for reconciliation in Jesus' name. You know what that means. You know who needs that. Begin to ask for it now. Open your hands, open your hearts. Receive those gifts now from God. For anyone who is not yet a believer, who's not a Christian, or who is backslidden and fallen away, this is your moment. Jesus died for you. God has done everything necessary for your salvation and for your fulfillment. And I ask you to be brave and to pray this prayer with me now, asking to become a Christian. God, I look to you. I am so sorry for, for the brokenness and the mistakes in my life and the wandering of my heart. Jesus, I believe you are God's son. I believe you died on the cross. I believe on the third day you rose again. Forgive me. Put your spirit in my life and fill me now. In Jesus' name, everyone says, Amen. Amen.